we're going to take this nice and slow, all right? Uh, we probably have half the church who probably doesn't have much of a background with the Holy Spirit. Agreed? Anybody who, when I say Holy Spirit, you go, ooh, pack up your bags like you have your, you know, your purse ready, you're about to run out the back door. Oh, I know you're here, okay? So you can go ahead and act like you're not. I know you're here. Um, so uh, for you guys, we're going to take it nice and slow and kind of uh, dig deep in the scriptures and kind of allow you to, to meet the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New and, and to now. Um, and so it's going to be good for you guys. For everyone who thinks that you have a great relationship with the Holy Spirit, the challenge for you is going to be that with our relationship with God, we always have this tendency to just always try to, you know, cram God into these boxes of our experience. Because I experienced him this way, because I just know this is who God is, this is who the Holy Spirit is, you know, here's what it's supposed to look like, all that kind of stuff. What's going to challenge you in this series is that the Holy Spirit is far more than you could even imagine. And the best part about the Word of God is that when we allow the Word of God to get a hold of us, it shakes us and it rattles us and it makes us remember that He's God, we are not. He is big and we are small. And even with the Holy Spirit, we are not the ones in control. It doesn't matter how much experience you've had with, with the Holy Spirit, there is so much that you have to learn, including myself. And I know uh, with these series, the, the best part for me is I just love to get into it and to get in prayer and the Scriptures and just be overwhelmed with how much I really have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> Agreed? Awesome? Okay. It should be fun. All right. We're going to start in the Scriptures, okay? It, it, it's the safest, uh, the best place to start. So, if you guys are taking notes, here's the first thing. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, the one thing that really struck me in preparation for this series was how little theology there is on the Holy Spirit. Um, you could spend, I'm being, uh, being completely literal here, you could spend the rest of your life in the library reading books upon books, upon books, upon books about Christology, who Christ is, who Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, on the church, on salvation, sanctification, all these different topics. There are so many books, it is just stupid, honestly. Oddly, when you go to learn about the Holy Spirit, you hear Him talked about in those books when they're talking about Jesus or the church or salvation, uh, things of that nature. But there's not much theology done on the Holy Spirit. Um, in, in, in church history, most, most of the Christians and kind of the church groups who really embraced the Holy Spirit kind of pushed away theology, if you would, thinking and studying and praying about God, if you would. And so there's just nothing out there about Him. And so it, it's pretty exciting, but it's also a little bit interesting because we just don't have that much uh, information. But I'd say in the last 50 years, there are a lot of theologians and pastors who are really trying to kind of break some new ground here. And so for us, it's going to be interesting to kind of jump in there with them. So in the Old Testament, here's the biggest thing. There are only two verses in the entire Old Testament that say the word Holy Spirit. One in uh, Psalms and one in, I think, the book of uh, Isaiah. And that's really it. But the word Spirit shows up in Scriptures everywhere. Now, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, okay? And ruach means breath. The first time that we see the word spirit, we see in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see that God, His spirit, the spirit is hovering over the waters. 
And so we see that, the, if you would, the shell of creation has been made, okay? Like the universe exists, the, the laws of gravity and time, all these things exist, but he hasn't finished doing what he wants to do yet. And so we see the Spirit kind of hovering over the earth. And then we see the rest of creation unfold. So the first place that we see the Holy Spirit is in creation. Secondly, the next thing that we see about the Holy Spirit is we see him begin to come upon man. Now, we see this in Adam, right? We see that God, he decides to, to create this image of himself. The word is icon. Similar to idol, right? Like an idol is an image of God or an image of a God that we worship. But it's an idol because it's not the true God. So we're sending our worship to an image that's not truly God. But an icon is different. An icon is something that God himself creates. And so it's an image of himself that God creates. And we see that God creates an icon, a picture of who he is, and that icon is man. It's Adam. Of course, Adam, when you say that word out, it comes out to dirt. Okay, so Adam is basically dirt man. Sound cool? Your great-great-great-great-grandfather's name was Dirtbag. You have a lot to live up to, right? So what happens is he forms this, this, this body from the ground. And so in essence, we ourselves are you know, completely made up, if you would, of this world, of this creation. We are, you know, planted and made from this place. And so he makes us from this creation, these, this, this body of dirt, but then he does something to it, right? He does what? He's, he breathes on it. Ruach. And so the Spirit of God touches us. It fills us. It goes inside of us. This, if you would, is the first picture of the new heaven and the new earth. This is the first place in all of the scriptures that heaven and earth collide. And it's inside of what? You. And so the first place in the scriptures that we see God and man touch, heaven and earth kind of overlap, is in Adam. And so when the breath of God, the life, the essence of who God is, fills the essence of this world, if you would, heaven and earth, when these two things combine, the first thing that comes out of this thing is man. And so from that moment on, we see the Spirit, and that word Spirit, you'll find it in the Old Testament, capitalized with, with the S. So the Spirit, we see it in the Old Testament, I mean, hundreds of times. And the primary use of the Spirit in the Old Testament is on uh, the empowerment and the anointing of God. What that means is, is when God chooses a person to use them, the Spirit is the one that does it. So when you have Moses, Abraham, David, the prophets, um, all the judges, there's always a reference to where when God wants to enact the kingdom of heaven on the earth, when he wants to have his will done on the earth, it's done through the Spirit of God. And so one of the most, how do you put that? If there's one theme about the Holy Spirit that's the most common from Old Testament to New is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of God at work on the earth. What that means is this. It's almost like, if you want to picture a hand, if you would, like here's God up here. We talked about where all those ideas come from. But if it helps, if you want to picture God up here and earth down here, the way that he's at work and moving on the earth, the way that he gets involved in the affairs of man is through his Spirit. And so he comes upon people and he uses them to do supernatural things. We're just going to kind of open up the crust of all this stuff. We're going to go a little bit shallow this week, and, and we're going to open this, all this stuff up in the weeks to follow. So the next thing we see 
of the Holy Spirit as we see him at work in the prophets. And so you have all the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, but basically in all the prophecies, we see that all of these pictures of the future and what's going on now and what will happen, it's all coming by the Spirit of God. And so again, it's the Spirit coming upon man to bring the kingdom of heaven to, the, to earth. The reason that I'm trying to, to make these connections is for most of us in this room, we have no understanding of the Holy Spirit outside of the book of Acts. Basically, the Holy Spirit is just the thing that falls, and they're speaking in tongues, and there's craziness, and, right? We're going to take it slow. Nice and slow, okay? All right, so we see the Holy Spirit involved in the Old Testament. Now the question is, so what's he do in the New Testament? Where does he show up in the New Testament? Now, this is a very interesting point I want you to see. So, in Genesis 1, the first thing that we see with the Spirit is what? He's involved in creation. And then we see him involved in bringing life into man and creating the first man. He's involved in creating the first Adam, right? Now, who's the second Adam? The Apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam, right? He's the one that God sends to accomplish and to heal and to make right everything that Adam made wrong, if you would, to accomplish the things Adam could not do. He sends his son, the second Adam, to accomplish them. So the first place that we see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is in the virgin birth. So we see him in Genesis bringing life into the first Adam. And what's he doing in the New Testament? Bringing life to the what? Second Adam. So again, you see the continuity. We see the Holy Spirit involved in creating earth and the heavens, and he's creating the way things were. And now he's the first agent that we see involved in bringing all things right, making all things new. The Holy Spirit is deeply involved in all of this. So the first place that we see the Holy Spirit involved is in Christ himself. And, and so we see the Holy Spirit dramatically involved from his birth, his, 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 his maturation, his ministry, his death, and then we see him involved in the resurrection of his body. We just covered like three-fourths three of the Bible. Fun? Yeah. Blast. Okay, so <laughs> here's the next thing we see. So he was at work in Christ. He's the one who breathes life into Christ himself, but now he does what? And so now we see him in the book of Acts chapter 2, and now he's bringing life, he's birthing what? The church. Then we get Pentecost. We have this moment where these, these disciples, these followers of Jesus are lost, they're arguing, they're fighting, they're confused. Uh, they've lost hundreds and hundreds of followers. Their understanding and picture of who God was, their idea of safety, all of this stuff has been lost, and now everything changes when the breath of God, the Ruach, in the Greek, the pneuma, when the pneuma of God fills these, what, humans again. So we see God creating, and now we see God, we see the Holy Spirit doing what? Empowering. The same work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the work we see him doing in the New Testament. Now, if you're getting bored, I'm doing this for a reason. Because so many of us either come from traditions that have just had one view of the Holy Spirit. He's just this. He just fits into this box. He, he's the one who, who helps us, you know, speak jibber-jabber. I can tell who, everyone here has had that experience, and the ones who don't, the, the ones who don't are not laughing. You're like, I, please don't do that. He's the one involved in the, in the empowerment. He's, you know, he, he's the one, you know, who just comes, and he gives us these giftings, and he, he helps us do all this supernatural stuff. 
But if you see what the Holy Spirit's really at work doing, He is the one at work from beginning to end. He is at work with the Father and the Son through the entire Testament of Scripture. He is busy and at work. He's not just this guy who shows up uh, you know, in the book of Acts. He's someone who's been doing this work. He's been leading this new creation since the beginning of time. Now, what goes on here, we see him at work in the church, but the next thing we see in the New Testament, he's at work uh, in each believer. In the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul kind of lays out, he's involved in salvation and sanctification, all these big words that we don't really care about, but he's basically involved in getting us with God and getting us to grow up in God. He's involved in every single stage of us growing into who we're supposed to be. He is the one who's involved in helping us get back to being the people that we are supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. He is the one who's enabling us to follow Jesus because we see that the pattern of Jesus, it's beautiful and makes sense. It's all this great stuff. But at the end of the day, we don't want to follow Jesus, right? Because to follow Jesus, it takes what? The cross. Follow Jesus and, and you know, get rich and be healthy, have a great marriage, have a great life. Because Jesus said that every single time, didn't he? Jesus is kind of a downer. He's like, hey, follow me, you know, and like die and suffer every day. Aren't you excited? You know, eat my flesh too while you're at it. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who, who enables us to, to make this journey that our flesh and that our heart do not want to make. He's the one who kind of, if you would, leads us along this path in pursuing and following Jesus. He's the one who forms us into the image of Christ. If you see in the Old Testament, we see this picture of Moses where he goes into the tent of meeting and he's around God. He's around the essence, around the presence of God. And the, the likeness of God begins to rub off on him. So much that when he leaves the tent, he's not looking just human anymore. He's looking superhuman. His face is glowing. And by the way, if my face started glowing right now, you would run. Or not, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you guys are brave, sure. If my face just started like glowing with light, you guys would just freak out. I mean, I would freak out. I'd probably be chasing you. Help me! It's crazy, right? But in the Old Testament, we see where the Spirit of God begins this picture where He's being formed. He's being formed into the likeness of God. And it is a... How you put it? It's a sign pointing us to what's going to happen in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says that the Spirit of God is the one who's, who's transforming us into ever-increasing glory as we reflect, as our faces reflect God. The Spirit of God is forming us into the image of God. And the most clear image of God on the earth is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's forming us into the likeness of Jesus. One of the deeper pictures of the Holy Spirit is that what the Holy Spirit is really doing. In the Old Testament, you know, um, we had the cloud of His presence. The kabod, this, this cloud, this smoke that would hover. And that if anyone would come into, into this presence of God without the right timing, without the right sacrifices, all these different things, that person would die instantly. This small little space, it's about a six by six, the small space on earth where heaven and earth would meet and the fullness of God would just break through, if you would. If anyone would come into that, without, without everything being perfect, they would die. But the ultimate picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, the new place 
of dwelling. The new place where heaven and earth, where God breaks into this world is where? It's in you. But the preparation, the making you ready to, if you would, to bear the image of God, to walk around with the fullness of God in heaven invading your world comes through this sanctifying, and that's a fancy word, but this, this preparing you takes place by the Spirit of God slowly molding you. And this image of the Holy Spirit is a fire. This fire slowly burning away everything that is in us and around us and on us that doesn't need to stay. Fire purifies. It takes everything that is not uh, truly pure and it just completely destroys it. And so what happens with the Holy Spirit is this picture of where when we begin to dwell with Him, to, to enter into relationship with the Holy Spirit, we are stepping into this fire that purifies Everyone's like, again, a beautiful image. I'd love to step into the fire. Let's, let's, let's get up on the cross with Jesus. Let's step into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come on. It's not a vacation uh, to Cabo, if you would. Uh, here we go. We all see the Spirit at work in the uh, New Testament in the world. We have this prophecy in the, in the book of Joel. This prophecy that when the Messiah comes to enter into this new reign, when he comes to make all things right, whenever this world is going to start, it's, 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 if you would, it's uh, ascent into this new life where God's going to make everyone and everything new and perfect and whole. When the Messiah starts this process, something's going to happen. The Spirit is going to be poured out in a new way, and it's going to be poured out on all flesh. The one difference about the Old Testament was even though the Spirit came and it, you know, it, it empowered, it anointed, it touched people, it used people, it only did it to select few. And so when the Jews saw this, this prophecy, they did not understand that. Why would God pour himself on everyone? And so in the book of Acts chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Peter, when he comes out after Pentecost, when he comes out with this just being covered in the knowledge and the presence of God, he comes out and he says, in the same verse that you guys all know, where the prophet Joel said that in the end times, at the end of time, whenever the king would come and start a new era, a new time, when he would come and start this new time, the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so what we see, we tend to read that as this idea where the Spirit of God's coming on to, you know, Christians, so we can speak in tongues. And again, everyone's... Come on, be honest. If I just start speaking in tongues, you guys run out that door. The rest of you guys like run up here and start dancing with flags and stuff. <laughs> but that's not what's happening here. The Apostle Peter is trying to explain that this is the time when the knowledge of God is going to be unleashed onto all the world. This is the time that the prophets talked about whenever God would make himself known to all the nations, to all mankind, for everyone to enter into this new kingdom of the Messiah. This is something God is doing for everyone. And so what takes place here, we see that this is a time, we live in a time where the knowledge of God is gushing over all of the earth. There are people who are, you know, following different uh, religions or, or have no religion who, without knowing it, are espousing the knowledge of God, who are, are experiencing God, whether it's in relationship, in nature, 
whatever it is, the knowledge of God is now prevalent. It is, in essence, the aroma of who God is is filling everything. And no one can escape this. God is revealing Himself through Christ to the entire world. And so what we see in the Spirit at work in the world is that we live in a world that the, how you put this, the level is rising of the Spirit of God on the earth. We see this prophecy in the Old Testament about the temple and about this picture where he's walking outside the temple and he sees this, this level of the Spirit rising and rising and rising. And it starts at his ankles and it goes to his knees and it goes to his hips. And again, it's not just a picture of the Spirit coming with tongues or giftings. It's a picture of the knowledge of God, the, the presence, the nearest of God being unleashed. The Old Testament uh, writers had this image of the earth. It's almost like, um, how do you put this? Um, think of Legos, right? You have this one piece of a Lego, and it's got these, these arches, these grooves, okay? But when you take the other Lego, it fits perfectly on it, right? You guys didn't play Legos? Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, David. That's the way it works with Legos. Okay. <laughs> Terrible. All right, so, you know, here's the Lego. The first Lego is earth. The other Lego that's created for earth is what? Heaven. And again, as we've learned, heaven isn't just this, this planet or place that's, you know, way out there in the solar system, okay? It's in this other dimension, if you would. It's this idea that these two things that exist in the same space but don't touch are now coming together. And, I, and when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, he, in essence, he put the on button. He started this conveyor belt that's bringing these two things together. And we are living in a time where the, the nature and the Spirit of God is, is beginning to fill and cover everything until the right time when Jesus returns. The last thing we see in the Scriptures, uh, New Testament Scriptures about the Spirit of God, we see Him at work in the new creation. In the same way that He helps to usher in the first creation, we see, we see Him at work in the new creation. Book of Revelation. We'll talk more about this as we, as we go in. But this is basically the way we see the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament arcing all the way to the New Testament. He is he's busy at work doing the same exact things in the Old Testament that he's now doing now in present time. So, that being said, I want to shift to, to uh, the title of this series. Playing with Fire. Who liked that title? Anybody? You guys are awesome. You guys are like, oh, that was terrible, but we're going to clap anyway. <laughs> you know, we don't want to hurt your feelings, Devin. It's okay. What's funny about the Holy Spirit is that he has many different um, pictures or analogies, if you would, um, metaphors of who he is in the Scriptures. But his primary metaphor in all the Scriptures is breath. It's wind, especially in the Old Testament. But something happens in the New Testament. His, the, the metaphor, the, the picture of, of who the Holy Spirit is and what He's going to do changes from Old Testament to New. And He takes on this predominant picture of fire. And I just love it. With wind, okay, okay. It's, how you put this? If we talked about Him as breath and as wind, right? I mean, yes, there's tornadoes and things like that. But typically, if we talked about wind or, you know, a gust or a breeze, it's kind of pleasant. Would you agree? 
Like, you know, when you're at the ocean on the beach, you have that, you know, that kind of a gust and a breeze. It just kind of feels nice. You know, it, it, it's refreshing. It's comforting. Uh, it, it's a good thing. But in the New Testament, he takes on this image of fire. And, you know, we might have some pyros in the room, but, I mean, typically, most of us like fire when it's contained, right? Be uh, at your house with your little fireplace, and it's, oh, it's nice, and, you know, it's warm, it's pretty, as long as it stays there, right? As long as it stays in this thing, it's great. It's so awesome if we can just keep it in the box. But the one thing about the book of Acts, when you study it, the book of Acts is primarily not just about the giftings, because the giftings of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit consume primarily the first six chapters of the book of Acts. The rest of it is about the emergence of the church. And so what the book of Acts is really about is how the Holy Spirit inaugurates and births and leads and empowers the church. And so what happens here is that we see the Holy Spirit take on this dominant form, if you would. We see in the Gospels, Jesus is the one enacting the will and the heart of God, inaugurating the kingdom of heaven, but then he makes these weird statements. He says, well, I have to go because you need the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus said, I need to go because you really need Stephen to come up here and help you guys. He's the one that you all need. I mean, wouldn't you be like, Stephen must be awesome. You're like, this guy is something. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I mean, seriously, for Jesus to kind of, you know, bring in a pitch hitter, if you would, like, let's, let's step out and like, let the Holy Spirit come here, because he's the one you really need right now. And so the Holy Spirit comes in, and he takes on the dominant form, and like, what he's doing is, again, he's birthing the church, he's, empower- he's doing all this crazy stuff, but the one thing about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is, he is the one doing, starting, initiating, he is the one in the driver's seat, and I love it. The apostles are always trying to catch up to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Most of the arguments and the fights between the apostles came about because they're trying to figure out what the Holy Spirit is doing. One of the most divisive things that happened in the book of Acts was when the Holy Spirit began to fall on Gentiles without the apostles there to pray for them. The Holy Spirit, in essence, started to outrun the Gentiles. See, uh, up to this point, the apostles would go to some people, and they'd, they'd, they'd kind of check it out. Okay, see, I think these guys are, are serious about following Jesus, and they would lay hands on them, and they'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then when you get through the book of Acts, about midway, things change. And now the Holy Spirit just starts falling on people whenever he wants to. And the apostles are not too happy about this. So they start fighting over, what does this mean? And what this shows you is very simple. The Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat. He's the one at work. He's the one who's ten steps ahead of us. It's our job to keep up. And the Apostle Paul says this way. He says, if only we could stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever done those uh, three-legged races? Yeah. Should we do an object lesson? Should we get you guys up here and do it? When you get couples doing that. It's great for marriage counseling, you know. They're fighting like the one's dragging the other one, you know. Yeah. I think we see a problem in this marriage, right? And so the, the Apostle Paul is showing us, he's saying, you know, the goal, the, the place that we're trying to get to is where we are literally staying in step 
with the Holy Spirit. What He's at work doing, we are, we are trying to, to partner with Him. What He desires, we desire. What He's birthing, what He's creating, we are just trying to keep up with what He's doing. Again, He is the one in control. Here's the thing about this, though. We don't like to play with fire. And then, of course, you got five people going, I love playing with fire. You know, we probably shouldn't let you in the, in the building, right? We should probably like, have you guys escorted out, okay? If you love playing with fire, well, I'm not talking to you then, okay? We're, we're, we're talking to everyone else who's sane. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure Stephen likes playing with fire, honestly. That's why, that's why Jesus sent him. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, let's open it up. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist speaking. He's been out baptizing people in water. The idea of being baptized in water was to be cleansed, to be made clean by this new commitment to an understanding. So John the Baptist, is, he's baptizing people, saying, repent, prepare yourselves, because the Messiah is coming. He's coming to inaugurate a new kingdom, and if you want to be a part of what he's doing, you need to get right, get ready, shake off everything that would hold you back, and be baptized, be made clean in this new understanding. And so he's, he's being asked questions about the Messiah. And so he says this, he says, and as for me, I baptize you with the water for, for repentance. But he who is coming, Jesus, after me is mightier than I am, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now again, it, it's, it's slightly tricky uh, in the English, but the Greek is more of like a Holy Spirit fire, if that makes sense. It's not the Holy Spirit and fire, it's more like a Holy Spirit fire. Uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Takes us back to our talk about hell, right? Woo! Exciting, right? But again, the context was the Messiah is coming to establish his kingdom, if you would. You know, you can picture a city with walls. If you want to be inside those walls, you need, first of all, to prepare yourself. Get ready. And when he comes, receive the fire that will purify. Receive this, this new spirit that's going to make you ready, going to make you fit to come inside the walls of God because he is coming to make his house clean again, to purify. There's that picture of the fire. Let's go to Ephesians 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with each other in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Kind of pause there. That again is that Old Testament picture I was talking to you about. The picture of like the Legos. You know, these two things that were designed for each other are coming together. God and man... It's this idea of the two being permeated. You know, when I talked about heaven, about the worship in heaven, it's not going to be us circling this bright light, you know, with these songs. It's this idea that everything we do in Him, He's in us, and we're in Him, and everything that we do is worship, relating and, you know, creating, enjoying, fellowshipping, all this, you know, just spending time, taking whatever. It is all kind of, it's all from Him into us, back to Him. It's this like symbiotic relationship. And, and, and what the prophets understood of, of the earth was that again, the Spirit of God, heaven, if, if you would, is going to permeate. These two things are going to be interwoven. And so he's going to be in all and through all. And the way he's going to be in all, because again, 
If I were to, uh, how do I say this? Matter can't be inside matter. How about that? Does that make sense? Like if someone else's hand was inside your hand, that would be a problem. I mean, I mean, right? Like that's not a good thing, right? And so it's this idea of the spirit. And again, the spirit gives us again this understanding of, of it's more of a dimensional. Oh, that's complicated. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that some other time, right? With 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 only like uh, Star Trek fans. How about that? Like Star Trek Sunday. That's what we'll do. The church is going to be huge after we do that. There's going to be five people here. It's going to be awesome. Really? That's funnier than that. Okay. And so again, he's going to be in all and through all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave good gifts to his people. You ever read that verse and been like, what is that talking about? He ascended on high, he took many captives, and he handed them presents. No? Okay. I've always wondered what in the world that, that was talking about. Okay. Um, understand this. The ascension is always a picture of victory and triumph. So again, the Lord who is going to conquer all of the, the powers of evil, everything that's been resisting and keeping us separated from God. When Jesus ascended, when he, when he defeats all the enemies, he's going to bring all of us who are captive, who are held down by all those things, held down by death and by loss and pain and by sin and you know, all these different things. He's going to free us from these things, and when he frees us, he's going to give us something. This isn't just talking about when he returns. This is talking about what he did on the cross. When he went on the cross, he broke the power over us, he freed us, and he gave us something. What's the gift he gives to the captives? The Spirit of God. The way that we stay free is the Holy Spirit. The way that we stay free, the, the way that we're not taken captive again to the same things that held us captive is the Spirit of Christ gets in God gets in us. The one who defeated the bully gets in you. When I was in 7th uh, grade in Pennsylvania, there's this big old, big old boy, Jamal. And Jamal didn't like me one day. And, you know, I was a scrawny little, you know what, you know, just a little old kid, right? And he just wanted to fight me. So we tussled. And it was, re- it was really embarrassing for me. <laughs> Let's just say that, okay? But he liked my fight, he said. <laughs> Good job, kid. You know, you're like, that was, that was cute, you know. So from that day on, no one ever messed with me. Because like Jamal, in essence, was almost, it's almost like this big old dude was walking next to me. You know, like, yeah, can you picture that? The same person, the same one who can defeat all of my enemies is now always connected with me. The reason that I won't be captive again is because now when I receive the gift He gives me, He's always with me. Now, let's talk about why we don't want the Holy Spirit. Let's all be honest. We would all love to assume that we, that we all want to follow Jesus into death every single day. That sounds great. And let's assume that we all want to step into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let's assume that. No? Okay, how about we don't assume that? Let's get honest. None of us really want this stuff, right? Okay, and, and most of us who want this stuff aren't really sure exactly what we're asking for. So let's, let's talk about that. Here's the first reason most of us don't want to play with fire. Here's the first reason most of us don't really want to engage the Holy Spirit. 
heat. Fire has heat, right? Fire's hot. Here's the idea, right? Fire's hot. To engage the Holy Spirit is to adapt to constant discomfort. You ever played like hot potato before? The whole point of the game, right, is getting rid of it. Why? Because it's, <laughs> yeah, like, if you ever played like something that's actually hot, it's a terrible game, right? Like, it's, it's awful. But yeah, like, when you, when you feel this thing, when something's hot, okay, when you feel that sensation, you immediately want to get rid of it. Immediately, okay? The problem with the Holy Spirit is that He is hot. He is uncomfortable. One of the primary things, and again, in the Scriptures, His role changes. One of His roles in the New Covenant, His role between us and with God, is that He is, in essence, his, one of His primary jobs is to be a hot iron, constantly kind of poking us. Sounds awesome, I know, right? It's His job to keep us moving. And most of us here don't like change. And so when you want to step into a relationship with someone who's always trying to change things, most of you cut that relationship off because it's uncomfortable. Secondly, the reason that most of us don't want to play the fire is the smoke, right? When you have smoke, you have to have, I mean, when you have fire, you have to have smoke, right? And with smoke, what happens in a room, you know, in a room full of smoke, you can't see very well. You don't have a good grasp of what's going on. And what happens with the Holy Spirit, one of the things we don't like about the Holy Spirit is we can't understand everything about Him. He's mysterious. There's things we can know about the Holy Spirit, and there's things that we can't. The reason that, that, that there's so little theology on the Holy Spirit is because it's so stinking confusing. And because that there's so little of it in the Scriptures. It just, we know these things, but we don't know all of those things. He, he in essence, is, there's just so many question marks. We don't like engaging into some into relationship with someone where there's uncertainty. Think about the relationship uh, in your life. When you're friends with someone and you just don't ever know what they're thinking, don't ever know like what their intentions are, do they like me, do they, do they not like me, you don't typically spend a lot of time with that person. You begin to distance yourself because when there's uncertainty, you're not sure if you are safe. And so you distance yourself. The next reason that we don't want to play with fire it's the flame, okay? If I were to take a lighter and to light that chair on fire, <laughs> there's a good chance, okay, in a short period of time, we can have much more fire, <laughs> right? I mean, it, you know, it's going on, uh, it would be bad. But we do have insurance in the building, so if anyone wants... Eh, that funny. Fire destroys things. And what happens to the Holy Spirit, a big reason that many of you do not want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit is you are afraid that the things that you hold tightest to, He will try to burn up. Here's the last one. There's some firemen in the house. I'm, I'm always scared when, when I start talking about something where I know people in the house. I'm more understanding than I'm like, oh man, if I say the wrong word. Flare-ups is a big reason that, that we're afraid. I'm sure I'll be corrected about this after service. Fire is uncontrollable, right? Again, it's a small flame. You know, I, um, I could have a lighter. I could walk over to the chair. And it seems like I have control, right? But the moment that I get that flame out, there is a certain element of uncertainty. Even in my house, you know, if you have a... a uh, fireplace. There is a, an element where you feel as if you're in control, but it only takes 
one moment for that fire to get out of control. We, uh, at the old campus, we were doing construction, and like we, we had this huge burn pot. And so I'm in the church doing something, and all of a sudden, Ian runs in, just black as you can imagine, just like, you got to come. And so I was like, you know, I, I head out there. I'm not kidding. The flames were probably about 25 feet. I mean, it was just like, I mean, like, I'm like what are we doing? I mean, like, what, what happened? I'm like, you know, we're about to burn down Crawford County. Like, what in the world? And so we had like three or four of us out there with like these little, like, uh, you know, little hoses. And we're like hiding behind trash cans, which are melting. It was a bad deal. It was just like one of those things where you're like, what are you doing? Fire is, it's uncontrollable. It's, it's unruly. You are never fully in control of fire. The biggest reason most of us do not go into deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit is because we cannot control Him. And we do not like that. The biggest reason that myself as a pastor am afraid to, to have more of the Holy Spirit show up on Sunday morning because I can't control Him. I can't tell Him what to do. I can't tell Him what not to do. It's terrifying. Hey, let's be honest. <laughs> the reason that you don't, the reason that you know you don't want to let the Holy Spirit loose in your life is He might burn your house down. That's the truth. The life that you've spent, you've worked so hard to build, He might burn it down. Have mercy. Here's the reasons that we don't want to play with fire, but here's the reasons that we do. We need the heat. Every one of you in this room will get comfortable. We always do. It doesn't matter what God does. You can have this amazing encounter or moment or year, this breakthrough financially. You can have this, you know, this experience with God's presence. I mean, you could have anything amazing happen. You know, your loved one gets healed, you know, of an illness or you go through cancer and God brings you. You, you can go through anything. You can go through heart surgery. You know, you're almost dead on the table and you are on fire for God in the next Week, month, year, all of a sudden it just wanes. We get comfortable. We like to just slow down and just stay. One of the things in the book of Acts that's so powerful about the Holy Spirit, again, He's, he's one control. He's, he's not tameable. We see that Jesus, He told His disciples that they were to leave Jerusalem to take this gospel, to take the Spirit to the ends of the earth, but they didn't do it. Most of them, the biggest contingent, most of the the disciples who walked with Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem. So what's the Holy Spirit do? He drives them out. He burns their house down. Quite literally, actually. Um, we won't talk about that. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. We need that heat to keep us constantly moving. The Holy Spirit, when you are engaged in deep relationship with the Holy Spirit, He is always stretching you. You are never done learning or growing or forming. You are always being stretched beyond your comfort zone. And for most of you, if you're unhappy with your relationship with God, you can track it down to a place in your life where you stopped saying yes. You stopped obeying, you stopped engaging, you stopped listening, and you just stopped moving. The second reason that we need the Holy Spirit is Smoke is good for us. Now, again, I understand in natural it's not good. Okay, I get it. 
what happens is we need some time to walk around in the dark a little bit. We need to be like disoriented, if you would. Um, one of the things you see is anytime uh, someone experiences temporary blindness, yeah, you know, one of the things that happens is like their other senses get so strong. You know, when they spend a month where they cannot see, they learn to lean on their hearing, on their, on their smell, on their memory. They begin to, to hone their other senses. We need this relationship where we don't always know what's going on. One of the hardest things about relationship with God Himself, but with, with the Holy Spirit especially, is the fact that He's always at work doing things in the ways that we don't want Him to. He, does, he doesn't always tell us what He's doing. He leads us down paths where He shows us one step and another, but we don't know where it's going to end up. And we don't like that. Because when there's uncertainty, we don't feel safe. And for us to engage in relationship with the Holy Spirit, we have to begin to trust God. And again, it goes back to the whole intent thing, right? We would love to believe that we fully trust, but the Holy Spirit is the one that tests that. Do you really trust God? The next one is the flame. Sounds terrible, but sometimes when we need things to get burned down. Sounds awful. But sometimes we need things to just get consumed and burned up. Things that are distracting us, idols, uh, distractions, opposition, whatever it is. We, it's so easy for us to get to lose sight, to, to, to stop focusing on God and to make our lives about other things, to make our lives about work, to make our lives about you know, dreams or goals or hobbies, to make our lives about pain and fear and you know, loss. I mean, anything. You can, you can build your life around anything but God and it's far easier. But what happens is when you, give, when you enter into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you are taking the risk that He's going to burn up anything that isn't supposed to be there. And sadly, we need that. And the last thing is we need the flare-ups. We need to be reminded often that we are not the ones in control. The very idea, like what's core to being a Christian, right, is to hand over control, to confess lordship, to give Jesus full mastery where you have no rights. The word Lord, one of the meanings in lordship is that I cede, I, in essence, Here's a piece of paper. I hand over all of my rights. In essence, if you were to walk in here with the deed to your house and hand it to me, it doesn't matter how long you live there, how many payments you make, I'm now the one in control of your house. And we take our lives and we seed, we hand the deed over to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enacts this entire process. He's the one who begins to lead us and to enact the will of Jesus in our lives. He's the one who actually makes us make good on our commitment. We can have a moment of emotion or excitement. We go, oh, yes, 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 I want Jesus. Save me. And then on Monday, but I want to keep everything the way it is. One of the best things about marriage counseling is just like these really obvious things they say to you. Well, what's really hard about marriage is like I came in and like I wanted to kind of have the bathroom the way. I wanted it. I wanted to put my clothes the way. I want to, I, you know, I wanted to fold my clothes this way. They wanted to fold it that way. <laughs> So you're saying you want to have your life the exact way it was and bring someone fully into it. That's going to work really well. You're going to have a great marriage. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is the one who comes in the house and just, how do I put this nicely? Uh, Men, whenever you have your clothes in a pile, you know exactly where everything is, and then your wife comes in and just like reorganizes everything, that's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You walk in like, whoa, whoa. 
I had everything just how I wanted it, you know, like, but it was, you know, it was my mess. Anyways, okay. You get it. All right. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to have communion this Sunday. Um, again, we're going to go very slowly into this. On paper, we have about three more weeks of this series, but the more I pray, but I just don't know where it's going to go. Uh, the biggest thing is this. It's whenever we engage into relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's the same thing with Jesus. We have to sincerely prepare ourselves to commit, to commit to this relationship with this person and with God Himself in a way that we cannot control, we cannot manipulate, we cannot set limits for Him. We're either all in or we're not. You either light the flame or you don't light the flame. You either put logs in that furnace and you light it, or you go to Sam's to get the electronic one. That was funny. If you want to, most of you who do not have a sincere relationship with the Holy Spirit, what you have in your fireplace is that little cheapo, little plastic electric thing from Sam's. You know what I'm talking about? It's got the fake little flame with the fan. You know, like the fan has. These are good pictures. can't make s'mores with that, right? (laughs) Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're here. And uh, we just acknowledge that some of us are all different levels.